Today at Kayla's Church, we have five people speaking for five minutes. Josiah, Sally, Zach, Nathan, Sam, <laughs> assemble! Welcome to Kalos Church. My name is Pradeep Jiva, And I'm Amrita. Kalos means beautiful in Greek. And our prayer is that you would experience the beauty of Jesus today. Right now we have people meeting online and in person at Bellevue's Hilton Garden Inn. If you'd like to get connected with us, we would love to get connected with you. So please join us for our next meeting greet where we're going to share a meal, share mm -hmm. stories. And all you have to do is click on this link to sign up right now. Amen. Well, we're so excited that you're joining us today. Mm -hmm. And we have an all church announcement that we want to share with you right now. And that is that we just found out that the governor for this month has moved us all to phase three. And so Whoa. people are asking, what is Kalos Church going to do? Well, we're excited to announce to you that starting on Easter Sunday and the Sundays to follow, we will be transitioning our watch parties back to live worship, mm -hmm. live preaching. Mm -hmm. You are going to get to sing more songs. You get to laugh at Pastor Pradeepan's jokes please, in person. And it is going to be really wonderful. We want to let you know that we're going to continue to follow the safety guidelines of the Hilton Garden Inn. But we are so excited for this transition. Amen. And you might be wondering, well, what about us who are wanting to stay online still? Yeah. Well, we are going to upgrade our live stream system so that we can feel like we are one church. Why? Because we actually are one church. Yeah. And we're going to worship together online and in person. And so why don't we pray right now yeah. for this transition, for us to stay unified in the spirit as we seek to make known the beauty of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this community that's stayed so flexible. And Lord, thank you for your grace as we've walked through a year of just wild transitions. And we have seen that your grace is sufficient. Yeah. So Lord, I pray that in this transition that you give us wisdom and discernment and safety as we stay on mission to reach our community. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 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 Well, without further ado, we are going to hear from our five speakers as we continue our series on Christian disciplines. Hi, Kalos. My name is Sam Goodhile, and I'm going to be talking with you today about the spiritual discipline of celebration. Now, I'm a very enthusiastic celebrator myself. I can often be found typing in all caps on my text messages, and my husband and I love surprises so much that we have dedicated a day of every month to be surprise day, where one of us puts on surprises for the other person, just for the joy and celebration of life. And there are some celebrations that feel really naturally fun to us, think birthday parties or anything that involves balloons, but there are other types of celebrations that might not feel as natural to us, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. In the church, we often talk about wanting to love what God loves. And maybe another way to say that is we want to align our vision with God's about who and what is lovable. And I think that means practicing as a spiritual discipline, celebrating yourself as God's beloved creation. Recently, I was in a coffee shop where I can often be found, and I was working on a Christian activity of sorts where what I was writing was scriptural and rooted in the truth about who God is and the goodness of his creation. But I was really distracted. An offhand comment from someone I knew had gotten me in a funk, and I was sitting there feeling scrubby and really concerned about my appearance and my weight and wondering what everyone else in the coffee shop was thinking about me, even though they probably weren't thinking about me at all. And in a moment of revelation, I realized that 
what I was doing, applauding God for his fabulous creation and the thoughts running through my head that were so demeaning to myself, those things were at odds with each other. And I was not exempt in that moment from the celebration of God's creation and all the good that God has done in the world. So if I could give you a discipline, sorry, if I could give you a definition for what the spiritual discipline of celebrating yourself is, I would say it's actively encouraging in yourself a correct view of who you are in light of who God is and allowing that to overflow into your thoughts and actions. So two points I wanna make about that. First, celebrating yourself is not believing you are perfect. It's believing that God is perfect. If we wait until we are mistake-free, sin-free, before we are kind to ourselves, we know that we are going to be waiting forever. In the kingdom of God though, love does not begin with right living. Right living begins with love. And celebrating yourself means pausing to express gratitude for how God is continually shaping you as a person. It's about remembering that you were created on purpose and remembering that God delights in you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it said this way, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Point number two, celebrating yourself is loving yourself as your neighbor. Sometimes we use words toward ourselves that we would never say to another human being. Now, there are dozens of references throughout both the Old and New Testament about the importance and, in fact, the command to love our neighbors. When Jesus is asked by religious leaders, who is my neighbor, he tells a story that demonstrates the answer is everyone. Everyone is your neighbor, including those you might be struggling to love because they make the same mistakes all the time or they're always making bad decisions. And maybe that person that you are struggling to love is you. But we have been commanded to love our neighbors. Our neighbors means everyone, which means we are commanded to love you and you are commanded to love you. That's what right living in the kingdom of God looks like. I'm under no pretense that this is easy. Some of us have years of practice being really unkind to ourselves. So my challenge to you is to notice your first draft thoughts. Things like, I'm so bad at this certain area of my life. I'm hopeless, I'm useless. Notice them for what they are, your first draft of a thought, and then lift them to the Lord and ask him to affirm who God says that you are and ask him to help you to believe the truth about yourself, that you are here on purpose, that you are loved no matter what you do, and that God is delighted with you. I believe practicing this spiritual discipline will bring us closer and closer to seeing the world as God does, seeing yourself as God does, and truly being a disciple. Thanks. How's it going? I'm Josiah, and today I'm going to be speaking on the Christian discipline of Sabbath. My wife Chanel and I have been practicing Sabbath for about a year and a half now, and we absolutely love Sabbath. We love it. We talk about it all the time. But before we were practicing Sabbath, we were just so bogged down with the busyness of life. We were working a lot and volunteering at church and trying to make new friends and just all of this stuff in life that just kept us so busy. So yet after another 60 hour work week, I was burned out, I was done. And so Chanel proposed that we start doing Sabbath where we just take a full day of rest, where we just experience the day together and with God where we don't have our phones out, we don't have a schedule, we don't make like plans with friends or anything like that. We just take the day to rest. So at the time, I was in retail and my wife was in freelance. And so we had the flexibility of choosing which day we wanted to take. 
So we took Thursdays. We said Thursdays will be our day, a good midweek break. So next week, Thursday comes around, and we took a Sabbath day for the very first time. We walked around Seattle. We got coffee together. We read our Bibles. We prayed together. We got to experience nature. We went out to the water. It was an amazing day, and we immediately saw the positive impact of Sabbath in our lives. So fast forward a year and a half later, and we've only missed like two Sabbath days. We've taken it every single week for like a year and a half. We absolutely have loved it, and we've seen the value. It's like God knew what he was doing when he recommended and modeled that for us in the beginning of creation. Um, it's like he knows you know, what we need in our own lives. And I couldn't recommend implementing this practice anymore. It's amazing. And just like all the other Christian disciplines that we've been talking about during this Christian discipline series, this is something that brings us closer to God and therefore closer to who we're called to be. So let's jump into Genesis 2, where we get to see the very first Sabbath modeled for us. In Genesis 2, 2 to 3, where we witness the first Sabbath, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. So let me be real clear. Obviously, God doesn't need rest. He's God. It wasn't like he was tired from a whole, you know, six days worth of creation, and, and now he's just taking a day to break. Um, that's not it at all. What he was doing is he was modeling a day of rest and Sabbath for all of creation, including you and including me. And so I know what you're saying. You're like, okay, just I get it. I got to take Sabbath now. Now I just got to work double time in order to earn that day off. But there's something actually really beautiful about that first Sabbath. So let's take a little bit of a closer look. You see, on the sixth day is the day that God created humans. It's the day that he breathed life into humans. And on the seventh day is the day that he modeled Sabbath. So in reality, the first full day of human existence was spent resting with God. So what does that mean for us? It means you don't have to earn your rest. You don't have to earn your rest. God wants to freely give you rest. He has set up and modeled Sabbath for us. Just like in the very, very beginning, he gave rest as a gift on the very first full day. So I really challenge you, set aside a day or even a half of a day just to rest with God. Experience life and experience this creation, this beautiful earth that he's given us and experience that with him and rest in him because when we do that, we're not just being physically refreshed, we're also being spiritually refreshed because we're resting with God. So on that day, during that time, read scripture, pray, go on a walk, do something that you enjoy, go on a hike, call a friend, whatever you do, do it to connect with the Lord because Sabbath is not just about rest or just about recovery, it's about rest. It's about spending that time with the Lord. So I want to close with this quote by Dan Allender, who wrote the book on Sabbath. He literally wrote a book on it. It's called Sabbath. Um, so let this be an encouragement to you for what Sabbath could look like in your own life. The Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, 
dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it, to make it holy, because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. I don't know about you, but Sabbath sounds pretty great to me. Hi, Caleb. My name is Sally Kim, and I'm going to be talking about the discipline of giving. While there's many types of giving, I want to focus on financial giving because it's the most challenging one for me. It's also kind of challenging to talk about because there may be people who feel like the church is just in it for their money. I definitely felt that way. And so full disclosure, I was not sponsored or pressured by the pastors to talk about this topic. Before I go into my personal journey with giving, I want to go into what the Bible says about it. In 2 Corinthians, it says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love this verse because it shows that God does not want to guilt trip us into giving or make this about a religious obligation. Rather, he is really after the heart of giving. 1 Corinthians says, um, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This verse adds that true giving is a response to the overflow of love that we first receive from God. You know, I have actually started thinking more about this because of the song, Have My Heart by Maverick City Music. Part of the lyrics go, set me free from selfish motives and search me till there's nothing hidden and I'll give you everything. And there's this one time I was playing this song in the car and singing my heart out to this chorus. And you know one of those moments when you actually pause to process what you're singing? It was kind of one of those, and I realized that while I was saying all these words, I wasn't living out what I was saying. In fact, it was more that I'll give you everything, but only after I've added to my savings and bought this and that. Essentially, they were just empty words. And I guess that's where I began the process of learning to give and seeking what it means to truly give him everything. So around the same time, I graduated college and then started working in September, yay. And um, if I'm being honest, I thought it would be a lot easier to give once I started earning my own money. But I'm realizing that my heart won't change with more money. Yeah, you know, the good news is that he's able to meet me where I am, even in my unreadiness, and equip me with what I need, that, what I need so that I can walk in obedience. I believe that when we approach giving as a practice of love and faith, it becomes an opportunity for us to be transformed by God. If I had to sum up what I learned so far and something that has been really sticking to me um, through this process, it's that God is never in debt to me, that his provision and his abundant blessings are solely from his generous heart and not because of mine. From this, I'm able to see God with new eyes. Um, one story that sticks out happened a few weeks ago um, when it was really snowy and I was driving home from Seattle. And looking back at it, it, is, it was not a good idea. It was um, messy and it was very slippery. Um, and there was a time that my brakes stopped working and I was sliding towards a stopped car in front of me. And in my head, I was already estimating how much this would add to my monthly balance and how much damage this would do to my whole you know, finances and you know, what my car would look like after this. And somehow um, my car stopped less than a tap away. And it was honestly a miracle because it was moving so fast. 
And I don't know how this happened, but it was in this moment that I realized that sometimes God provides in the ways that he keeps things unbroken, keeping me from having to go in and pay for the repair. Um, and that being said, I don't think money is bad to have at all. Um, you know, money can buy a lot of cool things. Um, but in this case, having a smaller safety net to fall back on allowed me to see the ways that I'm being taken care of by God. To sum up, the discipline of giving is for everyone, uh, regardless of income. Even when I started making more money, I realized that this is a heart issue and that I actually don't, I actually struggle a lot with this, even if I have the money to give. And so it may look different person to person, and I'm aware that people are in different financial situations, but I believe that we can all still be good stewards of our money. Thank you. Hi, my name is Zach Snyder, and today I'm going to share some tips on how to read this. This is the Bible. Uh, this is 66 books, uh, all put together into one book. It's more like a library. And all of the books in here are from different periods of time, genres, languages. Uh, but together, this collection of books forms a unified story that leads to Jesus, which is really cool. So seriously, the whole book is about Jesus. So the best way to learn about Jesus and about God and about creation and all that stuff is to read it. So tip number one for me today, get a Bible. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament, and Greek. So if you don't speak Hebrew or Greek, you're going to need a translation. And this is where people get really stuck. There are word-for-word -word translations, also called literal translations, and uh, that's like the ESV and the NIV, basically. And, and those, um, those translations are really concerned about each word and the structure of the sentence, and they really want to get the words and phrasing of the original text right. And then there are the thought-for-thought thought or more dynamic translations, such as the NLT or New Living Translation. And those are less concerned about the exact words and phrasing and more trying to just communicate the idea. A good example of kind of the differences here is Matthew 6, verses 11 through 12. The English, English Standard Version says, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The New Living Translation says, Give us the food we need and forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. As we have also forgiven our debtors, that's pretty clear. Jesus is talking about, you know, forgiving people who owe stuff to you. But if you read both that and as we have forgiven those who sin against us, wow, okay, Jesus isn't really limiting that to money. He's really talking about people who do any kind of wrong to us in any way. Okay. And just reading both of those translations of the same part of the Bible just prevents us from walking away with the wrong idea. It just makes it really easy to kind of come away from the Bible with the right idea of what it's trying to say. So what translation, you know, what's important about translations, read more than one. And most importantly, get a translation that you will actually read. Uh, get a Bible and get a translation that you want to read that, and get a Bible that is cool. Uh, I kind of like the New International Version actually a little bit more as a translation than the ESV, but this ESV Bible is cool. It has leather. It has gold pages. It has amazing pictures in it. it I can leave it like this and drink coffee while I'm reading. So get a Bible that you'll really like. Um, that's, it's really important that you like it. Uh, it same thing with, um, same thing with devotionals, you know, you're not sure where to read in the Bible. 
like just get a devotional that helps you read the Bible and get a devotional that you're excited to do and excited to try and excited to read. It's, it, it's all about actually getting up and doing it every day. And that's, that's where we go into tip number two here. Tip number two is to try to read the Bible every day. And this is a tough one. Um, I spent my whole life kind of aspiring to do that thing where you get up 30 minutes before you're supposed to and you just read your Bible. And I would always aspired to do this my whole life. And then a few years ago, I really committed to it. I felt like, you know what? I've been wanting to do this my whole life. I'm just going to do it. And for several months, I don't remember how long, but for several months, I'd get up with this 30 minutes and I'd read the Bible for 10 minutes, pray for five minutes. And then honestly, for that extra 15 minutes, it was pretty hard to focus on anything spiritual. Um, and it took a while. It really took a while for me to settle into that routine and get a lot out of it instead of just kind of becoming distracted after 15 minutes. And I had to have a lot of patience with myself. It wasn't like a 21 day thing. It took months. So have some patience with yourself and stay consistent. That is my read the Bible every day tip. Uh, tip number three, set yourself up for success in your reading sessions. I'm a morning person. Maybe you're a night person. You don't know what part of the Bible to read. Like I said, devotionals are awesome. Let them help you. Um, memorize your favorite scriptures by writing them down. I like copying scriptures because it forces me to like focus on each word. Um, and I would highly recommend leaving your phone out of your morning routine. Uh, it's hard to read the Bible when you're getting notifications about other stuff on the same screen, right? Um, tip number four, let experts help you. There's tons of people who are super Bible nerds out there who have asked the same questions as you. So don't just wonder what the answers are to things like Google stuff, look it up. Uh, just a couple months ago, I was in a small group with a friend who didn't understand why Jesus communicated in parables. Uh, like why, it seems like a weird way to communicate. And my friend's question led me to the seven part Bible project podcast series that blew my mind. It totally changed my understanding of the parables. And if my friend who didn't even grow up in Christianity um, had never asked that question, I never would have questioned the parables and I never would have learned all that stuff. So tip number five is the most important is just don't read the Bible alone. Like bring, if you have a question about the Bible, bring it into the church community and ask it and ask people what they think about it. And you know, you're, when you read the Bible, you're going to bring your own ideas and your own experiences into it. And that's just unavoidable. Like we're, we're all, we've all had different experiences. And if, if you read the Bible alone, that's kind of a concern, right? Because it's like, well, am I interpreting it right? But if we all bring our own experiences of life into the church and we all are reading the Bible and getting these slightly different things out of it, it just creates this amazing diverse picture of different perspectives. And I, I think overall, it just leads to a better, more holistic understanding of the Bible when we're all reading it and all caring about it in our own different ways. Thank you. Hi, I'm Nathan, and I'm the department head of the operations team here at Kalos Church. Woo! Today, I'm excited to talk about my favorite spiritual discipline, musical worship. And ever since I was young, I've always loved music. And you might feel the same way, but I've always felt near to God when worshiping in song, which is partly why I joined the worship team in the seventh grade. And now that I think of it, I've been leading worship for almost 14 years, which is pretty crazy to think about. Now that doesn't make me an expert on worship, 
but I've definitely learned a few core truths along the way. And here's one. God isn't selfish. He doesn't need us to worship Him. He doesn't get weaker or any less glorious if we don't sing to Him. So what's the point? Why is worship considered a spiritual discipline or self-care, as the pastors call it? Well, let's look at two very different passages from the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, God saved the Israelites by parting the Red Sea, letting them cross on dry land, and killing the Egyptians in their pursuit. In Exodus chapters 14 and 15, it says, When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. And this song goes on, praising God for this incredible victory. Can you imagine the joy and celebration of the Israelites being freed after hundreds of years of slavery? Or Moses finally seeing God's promises fulfilled? But then we go to the book of Job, where Job finds out in a matter of minutes that he lost all his possessions, his servants, and even his children in a crazy whirlwind of events. In the first chapter of Job, it says, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Have you ever felt so much pain and despair to the point of ripping your clothes and shaving your head? I personally have not, but what's even crazier to me is that it drove Job to worship. So when I reflect on these two passages, I realize that we're called to worship no matter the circumstance. In wonderful victory or in complete despair, these people worship. Personally, it's much more natural to worship when things are going well. Like when I've had a really triumphant win, it's much easier to sing and shout passionately to the Lord. But man, when I've had a hard week, singing praise and biblical truth is one of the last things on my mind. I remember one night on a particularly difficult week, I was leading a song called Remembrance by Hillsong, and the bridge goes, You've been so, so good to me. Oh, to think where I would be if not for you. Did I believe it in the moment? Eh, probably not that much, but I so desperately wanted to. And that was my worship. It was more powerful because it was more difficult for me to sing. It wasn't a result of something good, but it was a cry to someone good. And I could also genuinely sing those lyrics when life is going well and I blatantly experience God's goodness. And that would also be worship too. So if you take away anything from what I'm saying, let it be this. Sometimes you sing because you believe, other times you sing to believe. And I think that's why God commands us to worship Him. God is truly so selfless and He knows that worshiping Him is a way in which He actually reminds us of His goodness, renews our minds, and transforms our hearts. And that's why I'm honestly so grateful for the spiritual discipline. And let me be clear, there is a foundational truth that God is worthy of all our praise and adoration. And that alone warrants our surrender and worship to Him. But I challenge you to worship, especially when it's hard to. If you sing truth when you're struggling to believe it, you're not lying before the Lord. You don't have to raise your hands or be the loudest singer in the room, but it's about posturing your heart before God to say, I trust you were, you are, and you always will be good. So I pray that in your worship, you will be able to celebrate like Moses and lament like Job. May God be honored in your worship, no matter the circumstance. Wow. Well, thank you Amazing. so much for speaking 
I love that we have so many voices at Kalos yeah. Church, people who are flowing in the spirit, walking in the authority of God. We are yeah. so lucky to have leaders like we all have here at Kalos Church. Amen. Amen. And uh, before we transition, we want to give you an opportunity to give your life to God. Following Jesus, honestly, is the best decision I've ever made in my life. And if you're here, yeah. you're feeling the spirit of God, maybe you're realizing that you want a fresh start in your life, well, this is the perfect time to surrender to Jesus. And so we're going to pray a prayer all at the same time. If you'd like to pray this prayer with us, join us as we pray these words together. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, thank you for praying that prayer with us, especially if you prayed that for the first time. We want to help you go on the journey of following Jesus. So please text the number on the screen right now so that we can follow up with you. Amen. Well, we want to transition our service to worshiping God with our giving. We encourage you to give here at Kalos Church of your tithes and your offerings. Click here right at this link. You can give today. You can also set up your reoccurring giving as well. And we want you to know that as you give, you're giving to life change. Mm -hmm. People are being touched yes. by the Spirit of God in small groups or at church on Sunday or online. There are all these different ways that God is touching people Amen. at Kalos Church. So as you give, remember that you are giving to life change. So as we do that, we want you to hear this incredible testimony. Hey everyone, I'm Becca. I just want to share with you guys a little bit about how Kalos has helped me through some difficult times. During the pandemic, I realized that I have a hard time taking care of myself. I actually don't really know how to give myself the things that I need without feeling selfish in doing those things. So I realized that was a negative tendency of mine when um, the pandemic kind of took away my ability to hang out with my friends. And I realized that I actually kind of avoid taking care of myself by taking care of my friends. So um, that was an interesting discovery. And it was a difficult discovery, even though it doesn't maybe not sound like a big deal, but it was because um, it was really, really hard for me to start taking care of myself. Um, as you guys probably know, like when you have to change the way you do things, it can be really difficult. Habits are hard to break. So um, I reached out to some, to some of my girlfriends at Kalos and told them what I was dealing with. And um, they actually kind of, formed an accountability system with me and we started doing some self-care together and that was really helpful. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to share that with you guys um, as a little bit of encouragement that if you are going through something, uh, whether it's big or small, uh, reach out to someone in your community um, and do that, go through those things with each other. 
Well, thank you for that amazing testimony. So good to hear what God is doing. Well, we just have two announcements for you today before you go. And the first one is join a small group. Yes. We can't say this enough. We have six days of small groups happening here at Kalos Church, and they are so life-giving. They're so fun. I am meeting people at church and becoming friends here at small groups. So it is not too late to go through our website, check out all the different small groups, and sign up for one. We also want to invite you to our next next meet and greet that Pastor Pradeepan talked about. So go ahead and sign up here at the link. We can't wait to meet you. Well, let me bless you before you go. May you know and make known the beauty of Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and worship. When my heart is weary, when my soul is weak, I can't traverse the trail before me. I survey the glory of your agony, and I find the will to fight for what's before me. Cause you
on these eyes.